Well, church, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to go ahead and encourage you to turn with me to Revelation chapter 8. We're going to be reading Revelation chapter 8, verse 6, all the way through chapter 9, verse 21. I want to invite Michael Thorne up, one of our elders. He's going to be reading for us out of our text this morning. Um, this is a long text, and so uh, I want to say that if you're able, if you feel like you can stand for the whole duration, I want to encourage you and invite you to please stand with me right now. Uh, out of respect for God's Word, uh, this is an, a, uh, something we do to just be reminded of the work of God, of His Word's place in our lives, that we sit underneath it, we, uh, we are submitting to ourselves to it, um, and so uh, just have the opportunity to hear of His Word this morning. So, uh, brother, I'll pass it off to you. Thank you. Good morning, church. Revelation 8, beginning verse 6. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood. And these were thrown upon the earth, and a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all green grass was burned up. The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch. And it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. The fourth angel blew his trumpet. And a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise a third of the night. Then I looked, and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blast of the other trumpets that these three angels are about to blow. And the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given power like the power scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days, people who seek death, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. In appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces, their hair like women's hair, and their teeth like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. They have tails and stings like scorpions, and their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. They have as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek he is called Apollyon. The first woe has passed, and behold, 
two woes are still to come. Then the sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number. And this is how I saw the horses in my vision and those who rode them. They wore breastplates the color of fire and a sapphire and a sulfur, and the heads of the horses were like lion's heads, and fire and smoke and sulfur came out of their mouths. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and smoke and sulfur coming out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails are like serpents with heads, and by means of them they wound. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Amen. Thank you, Michael. Uh, pray with me. Father, uh, we read this text, and uh, it could probably stir a lot of different thoughts into our minds, but here's what I know to be true. Uh, you are not a God that desires to bring fear um, or instability, but a God who desires for your people to find rest and trust in you. And so, Lord, I, I pray that that's what we would gain as we read this this morning. Um, I pray that, that we as your people, those that are here in this room, those that are listening online, that are um, a part of your kingdom, that are your sons and daughters, that, Lord, we would find rest, that we would um, find uh, just a, a hope and a purpose for even how we're supposed to respond in uh, days like this that are represented here in this book. Father, for those who aren't yours, though, Lord, I pray that this would uh, be a moment to soften their hearts, to see and to turn to you, uh, to see your grace and your mercy. Uh, and so, Lord, there's so much here. Um, I, I just plead for your help. Uh, I am insufficient to be able to communicate all that is here. Uh, and so, Lord, I pray that each of our hearts would be open to hear exactly what it is that you would have for us this morning. And, Lord, that you would help me to be able to communicate what you would like uh, to be communicated to your people uh, today. I pray these things in your name. Amen. So uh, this is a chipper text. It's a scripture, isn't it? Uh, you, know, you get to the trumpets, and, you know, we got kids in the room right here this morning. And you're like, oh, my goodness. Like, what is this? We've got, like, mountains coming out of heaven and hailstones. And we got abysses and things coming out and locusts with scorpion tails. And, like, I think this is... This sounds all really crazy, uh, and in many ways, it, it is really crazy, um, but here's what I would say. Even for you kids this morning that are in the room with us, that you're listening to this, I, I just prayed this, and I mean it. This scripture was not given to make us be scared. This scripture is given to us for quite the opposite. This scripture is given to all of us not to worry about what's to come, but to be reminded of the battle that is raging and is going to take place and that our God and King, as we just sang a few minutes ago, like he's already won the battle. Like, like that's what we're reminded of. 
Uh, and, and so we're going to dig into this. Now, we're going to do this in two different parts. We're going to look at the text uh, in one way and just do some explanation in regards to what the text is here as in this text and how we get to some of our interpretation with this. And then in the second part, we're going to get to some interpretation. Now, here's the thing. As I go through the explanation of this text, as you can probably guess, there's a lot here. And so I'm going to go fast. I'm going to encourage you to write notes down, especially as I refer to other texts of Scripture, because there's no way in the world I can re- read every uh, text in the Old Testament that we're referring to. And that's an important thing to remember as we jump in, that what we're seeing in these things, a lot of times people come to the book of Revelation, and you read something in Revelation chapter 8 and 9, and you read it as if it's like this singular thing that's kind of set apart from all the rest of Scripture. And that's not the case at all. Like most of these things we've seen in other parts of the Old Testament and other parts of the scriptures. And so that's how we understand what it is that God is trying to communicate. So let's just jump in. And first and foremost, we need to understand that there are multiple different views on how to see the trumpets, the seven trumpets in particular. So let me just walk through some of these views. Now, um, here's the thing real quick. Uh, One, I can't give you all the specifics of each of these views. If you want to have that information, we have some really big sheets of paper in the back um, in Info Central that has got a list of all the details about how these different views are and what's in them. If you go to a GLC class, you're going to be getting that when you go to GLC this morning. Um, But nonetheless, that's available. I'm just going to give us a 30,000-foot view of different ways and different views that are held. And I intentionally didn't number them because I don't want it to look like there's one, two, three, four in terms of what's best and what's not. And again, here's the thing. There are scholars, really good, godly men who know the Bible really well who believe different things about Revelation, right? So first view is that the trumpets are part of chronological and successive historical events that will clearly be seen from the time of the early church to to the thousand-year reign of Jesus on earth. So let me break that down. Basically, this would mean Jesus ascends, and then from his ascension until his thousand-year reign, there are going to be moments, events, these specific times where you're going to see the trumpet blow. So trumpet one blows, we'll see that event. Trumpet two blows, we'll see that event. And that's one view of this, and that we're looking and watching to see when those trumpets will blow as we wait then to see what's going to happen in the thousand-year reign of Christ. Another view is that the trumpets are part of specific events that are going to happen in a seven-year period of significant tribulation sometime in the future. So many of you have heard of the Great Tribulation, the seven years of tribulation that comes out of places in like Daniel's 70 weeks and certain understandings of his uh, interpretation there. And I'm not going to get into all of that. But in the end, the idea is, is that at some point in the future, there's going to be seven years where things are going to be really, really bad. And during that seven years, these trumpets are going to blow. Now, you've probably heard people say there's um, pre-trib, post-trib, all that kind of idea, right? Um, So some people that believe this would believe that Jesus is going to take his church up out of the earth before that tribulation happens. Some believe that that rapture is going to happen after the tribulation, right? So that's where you get the pre and the post uh, and this kind of idea. So this is another view of these trumpets. Another view is that the trumpets represent things that pointed to the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD. And so the people that would hold this view believe that these things have already happened. 
that were waiting for Jesus to return, but that these things happened back in 70 AD when Rome came in and destroyed and sacked Jerusalem and destroyed the temple. Another view is that the trumpets represent things happening in the time between Jesus' ascension and his return, and that they are a recapitulation of seals to some degree. Now, what do I mean by that? So, a recapitulation is simply this. It's the idea that we've seen the same thing in different ways throughout the book of Revelation. So, we just got done with the NFL draft. Think about um, an NFL game where there's a play, and they do instant replay. And what do they do during an instant replay? They show you various different angles of cameras to see the same event, right? So, you see the play, and then you see it from all these different perspectives. That's a recapitulation of the same thing. Some believe that, and many believe, that the seven seals, the seven trumpets, the vision of the woman and the dragon that we'll read about in future weeks, the seven bowls, that these are recapitulations of the same time frame from different points of view. Now, each of them communicates something unique, and each of them communicates something um, special for us to see and understand, but the seals and the trumpets, they all kind of align during that time frame between the ascension of Jesus, so that happened in the first century, to Jesus' return. And that these things are happening in this point. Now, if you, again, would like details on all those things, go pick that up in the lobby. But the view that I tend to hold to is closest probably to this last one. But I, I tend to hold to a mixed view. And again, a lot of different people hold this view. This isn't unique to me. But it's the idea that these things are symbolically represented within the time frame between the ascension and Jesus' return. And we've seen things happen in history that are actually representative of what's happening in Revelation. But I believe that there's going to be a greater fulfillment of these things as we near the end. So let me give you an example, and this is a little preview of what's to come. When we talk about the beast and we talk about the Antichrist, I believe that there is a spirit of Antichrist here right now, that it's here, that the Antichrist is present among us in all kinds of different ways. But I also believe that as the, near, the end nears, that there might be an embodiment of a, a more specific physical Antichrist. Does that make sense? And so that's kind of a mixed view. We believe that these things are representing what's happening today, but that there's other fulfillments that could happen in the future. So again, this is very typical for prophecy that we see partial fulfillments of prophecy and, and, and it fulfilling multiple different ways in different times. Okay? So that's kind of my view. But here's the thing. Now, obviously, there is merit to each of these views or else there wouldn't be disagreement. Like, nobody is 100% positive who's honest that their view is right. It's more about, well, I think this is the most likely interpretation of this thing. The goal for us as we approach these things is to see the ultimate message because oftentimes, regardless of which view you hold, the message for the church is the same. And that's what we've been trying to focus on is as the people of God in this church at this time right now. Like, what does this mean for us today in this time? So that's what we're going to try to fix our attention on. But we still need to understand what is here in Revelation 8 and 9. So what is it that we're seeing in the seven trumpets? Well, I want to begin with trumpets. 
Why trumpets? Now, did you ever think about that? Like, why, why does John see trumpets? Why does God choose to use the idea of trumpets to convey this idea to John? Well, like, it could have been all kinds of things, but he chooses to use trumpets, and there's a reason for that. Now, I think the reason is because trumpets are seen and used in all kinds of different ways in the Old Testament. Right? So they're seen as a call to assembly. They're seen as a call to battle. But one of the most significant ways that trumpets are used in the Old Testament that I think is helpful for us is an imagery of an alarm for approaching danger. Right? We see this physically in the lives of people of Israel in Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 18. We see it prophetically in books like Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 1, or Ezekiel chapter 33, verses 3 through 6. This idea that, that there's trumpets being blared. I don't know what the right trumpet word is for that, so sorry, you musical people. Um, but they're, they're, we're blaring our trumpets as a signal of incoming danger, that something is approaching. Now, this may make you think about something very specific rooted in Israel's history. How, how many of you know the story of Joshua and Jericho? Kids, you guys know that story? Like, there's like eight of us that know that story. I think there's more, I hope. Right? But if you think back to Joshua and Jericho, what does God tell the people of Israel? Like, right? You, you go to Jericho, and, and we want you to, to march around the city for seven days. For six of those days, you're going to march around the city, and you're going to be doing what? Blowing trumpets. And so what, what's going on here? Like, why for six days? Well, for six days, they're blowing trumpets and they're sounding an alarm, like something's coming, something's coming every day. Something's coming, something's coming. And then on the seventh day, they walk around the city six times, and on the seventh time, they blow their trumpet and the walls fall. Like, it's, it's come. Like, the judgment has come. And I think what we're seeing here, and I think this is instructive for us, because I agree with many who would believe that John is seeing an illusion that is back to this story. And what we're seeing is experiencing something, and what we're experiencing in our world is that there's something coming. Like, listen, pay attention. There is a final judgment. There is a final verdict against this world and its people that is about to come. And I do not believe that this warning is only for some group of people sometime way down in the future at the very end, although that may be true, and it may be much clearer to people as we near the time of Jesus returning, but I believe that warning is for us even now. I believe we see it all the time. And each trumpet is a spiritual and symbolic representation that may have many fulfillments leading to a more complete fulfillment at the end of time. These trumpets that we see in Revelation chapter 8 and 9 don't just point to the story of Joshua and Jericho. They also point to another very significant story in Israel's history, the Exodus. Remember what happened when the people of Israel were in, is, or were in Egypt and God was about to deliver them out of Egypt. What did he use to deliver them? He used plagues. These multiple plagues that were given to the people of Egypt. Now specifically, this points back, I believe, to these plagues, historical plagues that came upon Egypt as Pharaoh would refuse to let God's people go. So the first trumpet, it's hail and fire 
and blood that destroys a third of the trees and vegetation, including grain and crops and sources of food. We know this is the seventh plague that happened in Egypt. Hail came down, and fi- hail and fire came down, and similarly destroyed crops and animals around the people of Egypt. And during that time, so we see this parallel that harkens back to that. Then we see the second trumpet, and something like a burning mountain is thrown into the sea. Now, what in the world is that? Well, let's pause and just ask that question. Like, what are we talking about? Is is this an asteroid? Like that comes out of space and, and we're seeing a physical asteroid land into them. Listen, that's possible. We may see that come to pass at some point in the future. But if you look back at history and you look back at the Old Testament, this imagery is all over the place. This imagery of, of something like a mountain or, or some, something falling into the sea. Oftentimes in the Old Testament, mountains are uh, symbolically represent nations. And they're used to show us objects of God's judgment. I think this often likely refers to a judgment upon Babylon, which is a symbolic city, a real city, mind you, but also became known as a symbolic city for those who would stand against God. Something that we're going to clearly see as we go on further into the book of Revelation. In Jeremiah, this language is used for Babylon and with Babylon in mind. As a burnt mountain is submerged into the waves of the sea, speaking of its judgment. This is something we specifically see in Revelation chapter 18, verse 21, when Babylon is being thrown into the sea. And here's what we see in this trumpet when it blows. And so now we take out of the pause and we step back towards the plagues of Egypt. There's an effect of commerce and economics and food source within the sea. All of this is parallel with the plague of the Nile. When the Nile was turned to blood, and what did it affect? It killed the, the creatures of the Nile. The same plague is likely in view, and we see the star falling upon the rivers and the streams poisoning them, affecting fresh drinking water, which is another source of life and dependence that is now being rendered bitter, lethal, repugnant. Something that's supposed to be refreshing and life-giving in the third trumpet we see now turned to bitterness. And then we see the fourth trumpet which parallels the plagues of darkness in Exodus chapter 10. The effects of the sun and the moon and the stars, this imagery is consistent as it points to the final cataclysm. And think about texts like Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. So remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come, and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them before the sun and the light and the moon and stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. So here's what we see in the trumpets. And I'll pause in these first four. What appears to be happening with these trumpets, whatever, however this plays itself out, is a direct attack or direct judgments upon the things in which sustain life upon this planet, isn't it? I mean, just think about what is affected in these judgments. Uh, trees, vegetation, grass, the seas, merchants, where you know the deep sea where you go get fish and you could feed yourself. You, you see the rivers being turned to bitter. That was refreshing. We all need that to be sustained. And, and then the sun, which we all need for, for survival. Like, like this is a, the core elements that allow us to survive within this world are now being like affected by these trumpets. And that's important, and we'll come back to that in a minute as we then tie back to 
uh, Egypt and the plagues that are going on there. But there's this strange break in the text in Revelation chapter 8. It seems to be a slight shift away from physical effects to now something more spiritual. We see an eagle, which often is a bringer of the news of judgment in the Old Testament. And this is bringing a very particular type of woe to those who dwell upon the earth. Now that, that phrase in verse 13 is really important. Those who dwell upon the earth. We've seen this before. We saw it in Revelation chapter 6, verse 10. We're going to see it again in Revelation 11. We're going to see it in Revelation chapter 20. This is a distinction between those who dwell upon the earth and those who are sealed. Uh, That's an important thing. So if you look at what now happens in Revelation chapter 9 and you start to feel fearful, you don't need to be fearful because this isn't towards those who have been sealed. Amen to that. That's an important component for us to be reminded of. And as this trumpet blows, we see a star with a key unlocking an abyss. Now, when you hear the term abyss, that should remind you of something. Jesus spoke of such a place when he was talking with demons in Matthew chapter 8. Remember when he went across the Sea of Galilee and he met a demoniac, a man that was full of demons, and he was about to cast them out, and the demons asked Jesus, no, don't, don't send us to the what? The abyss. Send us into the pigs. So whatever it is that we see here in Revelation, wherever this is, it seems to represent demonic restraint. Something is now, that is now being lifted. Like, that's what's happening. So prior to this moment, whenever it happens, there's restraint, like there's control. And now that restraint is being lifted and they're being freed to go out into the world uh, and spiritually cause all kinds of havoc and wreak all kinds of havoc. And these things, I think, most likely look at physical, or not physical, but psychological and emotional and spiritual torment. The trumpet blows, these people come out, or these demonic hordes come out. Man, they are crazy looking. But what are they called? Locusts. Remember back to Egypt? There's locusts that go and devour all of the things in the land of Egypt. But these locusts, they don't devour the things of the land. They go after people. And these demonic beings are in the world and they're creating torment to those who are not believers. So again, don't fear, believers. This isn't for us. This is for the non-believers, and I think we'll see why. Now, we see the sixth trumpet. And the sixth trumpet does break away from the Exodus plagues. Seems to be man's last warning and indicates an escalation of this demonic activity that is now allowed to kill. This should call us back to the four horsemen and the four winds, which seem that for a season that there's some, there's some restraint, but now they're being released to fully affect the world. The powers in their mouths, represented by the plagues of fire and smoke and sulfur, this seems to indicate, based on other texts of Scripture, that as the end draws closer, demonic deception will precipitate greater hardening of heart and growing violence and death and despair. That's a lot, isn't it? That's a lot. Now, as I study this, and these illusions, they seem to be pointing towards an intent that God has during a period 
from his ascension to, his, to, to his, uh, the rapture of God's people, for his coming again, um, some, some moment of time where his intent is to continuously bring to judgment major aspects of the world in which we are tempted to place our hope and security. These trumpet blasts are meant to warn there's greater calamity to come. Like, if you think things have been hard in this world up to this point, it's like nothing like what we will see as things draw near to the end. The first four point to the judgments of the physical world, and the last two point to the spiritual, emotional, and psychological torment that comes when we continue to hold to these things despite them being shown to be insufficient. Now, I'm going to pause for just a second. Because when we talk about judgment, I want us to understand what that means. Judgment does not necessarily mean punishment. We hear the word judgment, we think, well, this is all wrath, and this is God just smiting people and, and causing hard and hurt and pain. That's, that's not what the word means in this text. A judgment is to make a verdict and make a distinction. Listen, there's plenty of God's wrath in Revelation. I'm not trying to avoid that. I mean, there's whole bowls that are dedicated to God's wrath in the book of Revelation. But what we're seeing is a judgment. God is making a verdict, and we'll see that here in just a moment, where he's saying, those things I declare to be unfit, and I'm making sure you know it. That's what judgment is. He's declaring those things to be unfit that we would maybe put our trust and our hope and our security in in our lives. And I think the significance of a third being told to us that these things happen to a third is a declaration, not of a specific number of trees that are burned up, but a reminder it's not everything. There's still mercy. Because what is the goal of all of this is to get people to repent. And we know that because of verses 20 and 21 of Revelation chapter 9. That many people didn't repent. They continued to worship demons and their idols. But the goal is to get people to repent. I believe that we see these things happening throughout our world. God judging the things that we, plus, that we place our trust in to be insufficient. Calling people to repentance. I believe that this is going to get worse. I believe that it may be fulfilled at some very specific events in our future. So what is it that we do with all of these things? First and foremost, I think it reminds us that anything we trust other than God is going to be declared insufficient. That is what judgment is. Think about why this points to the plagues in Egypt. What was happening with the plagues of Egypt? Was God sending the plagues upon the people of Egypt because he was mad at them? See, sometimes we think of it that way, don't we? Like we think that he's just plaguing the people of Egypt because he's angry with them. But what does each of the plagues of Egypt actually speak against? They go after gods in Egypt. Gods that they trusted in. Gods that they believed would hold their security. Gods that they believed would provide for them. Gods that they believed would protect them. Gods that they worshipped. And Yahweh, the one true God, is saying, okay, you, you believe in the God of the Nile. Well, I'm going to make a judgment, and I'm going to declare him unfit by turning that Nile into blood. I'm Yahweh. That God is nothing. You want to worship Ra, the sun god? 
Well, I'm going to declare him unfit, and I'm going to turn the sun dark. What God was doing to those people was he was making a distinction. There was the God of the people of Israel, Yahweh, the one true God, and then there were all these other weak, pathetic, insufficient, unfit gods that you worship. That was the intent of the plagues of Egypt, and that's the intent of these plagues as well. These things that you might trust in, they're unfit. The age from Jesus' ascension to his return, I believe, is going to be marked by event after event, moment after moment, season after season of blowing trumpets, warning that the things that we hold confidence in are not sufficient. They are unfit to hold your allegiance and my allegiance. They are fit, unfit to hold your trust, and they are unfit to hold your worship. There is only one worthy of those things. I believe these judgments will increase as his return draws near. And I think we're seeing evidence of that all over the place. But I'm contending that it's happening now. I also believe it's likely that we are going to see the specific events declared like this, um, potentially even more clearly seen as we draw nearer to the end. But just consider famines that are going on in Africa. Do they not call into question the trust that we put in sustainable food source? Think about drought in the West. Does it not call into judgment our, our confidence in water supply? Think about COVID. Did it not call into judgment our confidence in our health, in our economics, in our supply chains, in medicine, in government? Think about wars. Do they not call into judgment our confidence on governance and the ability of nations to be at peace with one another? Think about it in your own individual lives. Think about it as age comes. Does that not judge any confidence you put on your vanity? It's not sufficient. It's going to leave you. Like, it doesn't matter how much you try. Like, it's going to leave you. The constant thirst that we often chase after to, to find satisfaction and substances and entertainment and sex and all kinds of other things. Like, have they not been shown and declared to be unfit because they never satisfy us? Like that's what's happening in this moment. And the list of these things, man, I could go on and on and endless because the things that we make idols of are endless, are they not? Like we make idols over all kinds of stuff. And the trumpets, the, the judgments of God when they come to pass are declaring those things to be insufficient. So whether or not you think that again, the famines in Africa are the specific trumpet of God in one of the seals taking away the green grasses. Whether you think that's the case or not, the point still stands that if you're trusting your ability to agricultural and provide for yourself without God, that is not a God you can ever worship for long without finding yourself wanting. It's been judged. It's been declared unfit. So anything we trust other than God, it's going to be declared insufficient. But secondly, this is an important part for us. Devotion to insufficient idols will always lead to torment. I think that's what Revelation is telling us. That as these things start to slip through our fingers and our trust and our hope and our security starts to slip through our fingers, there is a demonic horde waiting to torment you as you try to grasp onto something that you cannot hold to. 
What do we do when we begin to lose these things? What happens? What we know to be true is that if we continue our devotion to these idols in our lives, it's going to lead to torment. When, we, what, when what we look to for rest and security and hope and fulfillment or anything else is shaken, if we do not recognize that shaking as evidence of its insufficiency and turn to the Lord, we're going to keep grasping after something and find ourselves in anxiety and fear and torment. So, so think, say it's money. So say you're a businessman, and let me just make it very clear. There's nothing wrong with being a businessman or woman and, and being a multimillionaire. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, if you're a Christian and that's who, what God has blessed you with, praise God, use it for his kingdom. That's not what I'm saying, so don't take that. But I'm saying, imagine you're a millionaire and you're running amazing businesses and suddenly COVID-19 happens and everything collapses and your business shuts down and supply chains disappear and you now are losing your fortune by the, the minute if your hope and your trust and your security, if your idol was in your ability to sustain funds and to provide for yourself through finance and business, and that was your God, what is happening in that moment? You now are going to be tormented. You're going to lay awake at night in anxiety and fear, trying to figure out how to sustain it, trying to how to figure out how to hold it, and you're going to be trying to scramble and trying to figure out how to fix the problems, some of which you may not do, be able to. And if it all goes away, what's going to happen? You're going to be with, left with nothing to trust in. And this isn't just wealth. This is all kinds of things. Again, like I say, what if it's your look, looks? As they slip and they fade... If you don't trust in the Lord instead of those, you're going you're to be constantly anxious trying to maintain something that you can never maintain, trying to keep something that you can never keep. You're going to be full of fear and anxiety. We see this happen in people all the time. That's why people are constantly being driven to things like suicide because they're being tormented emotionally and psychologically trying to hold on to security in a God that doesn't provide security. That's what's happening in Revelation. They want death, but they're not going to find it. They want to be, they, they want their God back. That's what happened in Egypt. That's what happened in Egypt. They refused to turn to God and repent, although it's interesting that some of them did. But they held on. And what did they find themselves in? They found themselves in torment. Take something more grand. Just think about your confidence in provision and stability and security being in the system that keeps groceries upon the shelves. What happens when that's threatened? What happened to our culture and our country during COVID when that got threatened? We freaked out, all right? Like we lost it. Like people were like, like doing all kinds of things just for toilet paper. Right? You, you might listen. We actually bought chickens during this time, so I can just say this. Some of y'all went out and bought a whole bunch of chickens trying to try to sustain yourselves. Um, okay, like, like this is what happens. Like, like we wrestle and we, we we go back and forth at night. It's like, what are we going to do if there's not food in the grocery store? I don't know how to grow plants, and I, I don't know how to sustain myself. And like, what's going to happen? And man, like I, I didn't ever think that this could be shaken, but now it's shaken. And and I don't know if, if there's going to be people that are going to die and all these different things. Like we saw this happen right in front of us. 
Think, think about, uh, remember Hurricane Katrina? Some of y'all are too young for that, which is crazy to me. Right, think about Hurricane Katrina. Like Before Hurricane Katrina hit the southern coast, everybody was walking about their business. They were doing their lives, and they believed everything was going to be fine, that their shelter was going to be okay, that they'd be... Who would have ever thought that fresh drinking water would be threatened? Who would have ever thought that something could take away the ability to gain food at the grocery store? Who would have ever thought that government would have collapsed? Like, they were just going about their day. And then the storm came, and in a second, every single one of those things that people had put trust in was declared unfit. And what happened? Remember the news? Chaos. Torment. People freaking out, trying to grasp for anything that they could hold on to to maintain their security and their stability. Did people turn to God? Some did, but others sought everything they could do could to regain what they had. But we can just build it stronger. We'll build better seawalls, better government, and we're going to fix it. Guess what? Someday that will be declared unfit as well. And the point of this text is to say is as you continue to chase after those idols, not only are you going to experience torment, but ultimately it will lead to ever-deepening deception. This is evidence all around us. As we refuse to see how unfit our sin is, our idols are, and we keep grasping after them because we don't want to see that what promised life is actually going to lead to death. I love what Nancy Guthrie says about this. She says that it trumpets to those who think that their sins add to their lives. The sin ruins everything. It trumpets to those, when these things happen, who think that their sin actually adds to their life the reality that sin ruins everything. And in fact, it will be their ruin. And some people will see it and repent and other people will refuse to turn from their sin and their idols and will keep trying to grasp after something that will constantly slip through their fingers. I don't know how it was for most of us, but here's what I know to be true for the Christian and why I think there's that break. We are going to likely experience much of what we saw in Revelation chapter 8. Christians are going to be around when there's earthquakes and famines and stuff falling from the sky. Whatever that stuff represents, we're there. But you know where we're not? We're not being tormented. You know why? Because when the fire burns up all the trees and the grass and the crops and the world is in panic... I get to lay my head on my pillow and close my eyes and rest in a sovereign creator God who owns a thousand cattle on a hill, uh, cattle on a thousand hills. I, I don't get tormented. Like we don't get tormented because our trust wasn't in that stuff in the first place. When I look in the mirror, when I'm like in my 60s and I got wrinkles all over and I can't any longer gain muscle or do any of those types of things, and I go on a run and my knees feel like they've exploded, I'm, I'm going to be fine. You know why? Because my hope isn't in that stuff. Like, I'm not going to be tormented by it. 
Like when nobody cares about my name anymore, I'm going to be fine. Because the one who really matters sees me and knows the hairs on my head. Do you see what's happening? Like Christians don't get tormented by the demonic horde because our trust wasn't in those things. That's the whole point. God is trying to make these judgments and call people. Stop trusting in it. Stop trusting in it. Stop trusting in it. Turn to me. Find your hope in me. So what is the response of the Christian when these things happen? Well, here's the response to the Christian. First, be prepared to proclaim light in the darkness of judgment and torment. When you see someone's idol falling and failing in front of them or failing them or falling in front of them and it's having that kind of effect on them, it's trying creating all kinds of torment, this is an opportunity for you as a believer in Jesus Christ to step into their life and to love them and point them to Jesus. It's an opportunity to say, like you put your trust here, it's unfit, but Jesus isn't. Jesus is fit. He's sovereign. He's good. It's an opportunity to see the hurt and the pain and step into those things. What a privilege for us to share the hope that we have in Christ with gentleness and in love to someone who is watching their idols fall in front of their faces. Their security collapsed in front of them. See, when the world is in chaos, they should be looking at us and seeing the testimony of those who are bought by the blood of Jesus Christ resting in the goodness of who he is and the power of, of our God. They should want that. See, part of our testimony as the days grow darker and these trumpets grow louder is that in the face of worldly trust and security eroding away, we remain firm. We get to lay our heads down on our pillows and go to sleep at night. I'm not saying that we don't care about these things. I'm not saying you don't take measures to provide for your family. I'm saying you don't trust in those measures. You trust in the one who is in front of you. I've seen this in the life of believers that have suffered tremendous challenge. And yet, Jesus is there. It is a stark contrast between non-believers who don't have the same hope. And we need to be watching for these opportunities and prepared to proclaim the gospel in the midst of them. Secondly, we need to be praying against the power of the demonic horde. We must be prayerful that those who need to repent will not be deceived by what proceeds out of the mouth of the demonic horses that are pictured in Revelation chapter 9. That hearts will not be hardened like Pharaoh's heart was hardened, but the eyes would be opened. This imagery, and I believe this is not just imagery, I believe that it is an effect of real spiritual things that are happening. And our best weapon is prayer. And so if there's a non-believer and their house is wiped out by a tornado, we can pray specifically that those hordes would not torment them and harden their heart, but that the Spirit of God would soften their heart that they might repent and find Jesus. See, remember, brothers and sisters, there's a spiritual reality that's going on around us, not just a physical reality. And we need to be reminded of that day in and day out. Thirdly, we need to recognize and repent if these trumpets are blaring in our lives. Like we would be crazy to think that we're immune from the temptation to put our trust in the things of this world. 
Anything we trust in apart from him is vulnerable. And it's eventually going to fail us. And it could bring torment and ruin if we continue to try to grasp onto it. When and as those things fail, let the trumpets trumpets ring loudly in our ears, reminding us it's going to fade. Return to me. It's going to fail. Don't put your trust in the security of the world and its food. Trust in the one who made them and causes them to grow. Don't trust the economy of the nations to provide for your future or your present. Trust the one who holds them in his hands. Don't trust the refreshing streams of this world and all the promises that it holds. They're going to turn bitter. Trust in the one who is the living water, the fountain of life. Don't trust the pleasures of immediate of the immediate, whether it's social media or entertainments or substances or shopping or food or whatever it is or success. Trust in the one who will never run dry. Don't trust in the sun and the moon and the stars. Trust in the one who made them. Trust in the one who will ultimately be the light for us in the new heaven and the earth. If you, that you're, if you feel that you're trusting anything other than him, brothers and sisters, like as Christians, I would call you to repent of that. Do not be like the people of verse 20 and 21. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands. I mean, you just imagine? Nor did they give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot hear or hear or walk, see or hear or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or sexual immorality or their thefts. They continued to cling to it. Don't be like those people. Cling to Jesus. Repent. Now here's what I would just encourage all of us to do this week as believers in Jesus Christ. Like I would encourage you to take some time to be still, to really ask the Lord to examine your heart and ask, are you putting trust in anything besides Jesus? Are you putting your trust and your hope for security in anything else in this world? Because I'll promise you that if you are, that's going to fail you someday. I just encourage you to step back from the craziness of life one of our pastors just said we should encourage you like even to just fast from like social media and entertainment and just sit and be still and listen to the voice of the Spirit of God because you don't want to find yourself trusting in an idol he is going to judge someday. And just listen to his voice. And if he reveals to you that you've put your hope in something else, like repent of it. I'm not saying all these things are bad or they're wrong, but man, they can so slowly begin to turn in our hearts and become idols instead of good gifts that God has given to us. And we can begin to worship the thing instead of the giver of the thing. We can begin to look to it for refuge. We can begin to look to it for rest. It's going to be judged. It's going to be declared unfit. And the warning... I think that's relevant to all of us, whether you believe the trumpets are something that's happening today or the trumpets are something that's going to happen some other time in the future. So I encourage you to do that as a Christian this week. And if you're a non-believer, you don't know Jesus, 
Here's what I would simply encourage you to examine in your own life. Has anything ultimately been faithful to you? Like, everything promises refuge to you. Everything promises security to you. Everything is going to promise you help. None of it pans out. And I just honestly ask that question. I, I don't have to fear asking that question because I know from experience that none of it actually pans out and, and gives what it promised. You think if you get enough money someday that you'll be secure? I promise you, ask the richest person in this world, there's never enough. There's always going to be more. You're going to need more because it's an unfit God. It cannot serve. It cannot, it's not worship. It's not, it's not worthy of your worship. It's not worthy of your allegiance, but Jesus is. And I would encourage you to turn to him. He is the life. He is the way and he is the truth. We're going to sing a song as we close our time. And I would encourage you that uh, as we do this, just, just respond in your heart. If you want to pray with someone as we close in this song, we're going to have prayer counselors and elders and pastors up here at the front. We would love to talk with you. And I know there's a million other things we could talk about in regards to Revelation 8 and 9, but I think these are the most important things for us. And as we sing, I just want you to really begin that process of examining. Ask the Spirit to open your eyes to what He sees. Not what you see, but what He sees in you. And then be open to repent of that if he opens up your eyes to something that you are engaged in that you shouldn't be in terms of what you trust in and where you take your refuge and your rest. So would you stand with me? I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna sing. Father, I, I look at these, these things in Revelation 8 and 9 and, and some of these, they seem traumatic and they seem terrifying. But the reality of it is, is that if we haven't put our trust in those things and ultimately our trust in you, the loss of them isn't going to be as big of a deal as it will be to those that find their hope there. Lord, I want you to, I want you to free me of my trust in anything but you. I want you to free your people in this church from trusting in anything that is unfit for their trust and their worship. Help us to see it, Lord. Father, I want to pray for those in this room that don't know you. Father, may, they may be experiencing that torment right now. They're grasping onto something and it's not giving what they hope. Father, I want to pray that you would open their eyes to see what's going on they might turn to you and they might find freedom. They might find healing and deliverance that you provide. Father, I just pray that you would help us to walk through a process of examining our hearts in the next couple of moments. Pray and ask these things in your name. Amen.